0: You know, when I think of important hunting tactics, I would say the ones that I do nearly every hunt are probably the things that I should be talking about. And one that kind of goes under the radar. I actually do this trick so seamlessly that I don't even notice that I'm doing it. Yet it's probably the single tactic that's led to more opportunities than I can recall. I'd go as far as calling it my secret weapon. It's a way to give yourself a second chance to stop something that might be bounding out. It calms an animal, makes that running elk, deer, sheep, honestly, whatever big game animal you're hunting, stop on a dime and take a second look. It can be a grunt, a bleat, a bugle, a cow call, or even a simple whistle, depending on the species and scenario. It can be the difference between blowing out an animal or getting that shot. So this week, I'm gonna give you probably what is one of my greatest air quotes here, secret tricks, something I call the stopper. But before we do that, I want to share the story of last week's hunt with my bow using my mouth tab and the call that led to success on my best mufon ram. So this past week I was actually hunting in Hawaii, primarily chasing mufon sheep, although I was chasing axis deer as well. And so there's a few wild populations of mufon sheep in some areas in Hawaii. And now if you aren't familiar with the mouflon sheep, it's actually, uh, I guess one of the oldest species of technically wild sheep. They come from Europe. And the thing about the mouflon is like the country that they're living in, it can be, they can live in a couple different types of country, but they can live in the more open habitat and the thicker stuff. But primarily they like that a little bit of open because they've got just incredible eyesight. I would say that their eyes are definitely their number one detection source for prey animals. And they generally don't give you much time. They, they see something and they run and they run and they pretty much keep running. Um, it can be a, a fairly tricky hunt. I've hunted them multiple times, but to get a good ram, it, it can definitely be a, a pretty cool feat, especially with a bow. So to get a good uh, mouflon ram, like a free range wild mouflon ram, it can, it can be challenging, especially when you're bow hunting and you got to get close and, and do everything right. Well, obviously, if you've been following along some of the stories and obviously this podcast, you know that my bow hunting because of my injured wrist, I can't shoot my bow normally. So I've been taking up shooting with my mouth, with a mouth tab. So I've got a piece of well, my leather strap broke, so I've put on a piece of my bino strap, sewed it kind of together, and um, I draw the bow back with my mouth and then open my jaw to release. I use like the I line everything up on my right side of my molars, and then. You know it's kind of difficult though because you've got your your peep sights a little bit further out, and then you've got your other sight. You're you really got a low anchor point, so you don't have a lot of range in your sight housing. You know before it hits the fletching, so I, I don't have a lot of range on it. And then you got to have everything right. You got to line it up the peep with your eye. You've got to have everything your your hand set. There's some difficulties to it. Um, so you know I'm going on a difficult hunt with kind of a, uh, in some ways, a handicap, right? Because I've got, I'm so used to hunting with my release and everything else. It's just, it's so automatic, but this new way of hunting, uh, I kind of have to see it as like, okay, I've got to get a lot closer than I would normally, which which is not a bad thing. But here's an animal that has really good eyesight, eyesight, uh, really good senses, and doesn't want you to get close to it. So the challenge is set. So we started out the first day, um, I was actually hunting with a, a group of buddies, David Wise, uh, a couple of friends, Sean and Robin and Janus, a couple of friends from Hawaii. And then uh, Brian Barney, uh, one of the guys that does the Eastman's Elevated podcast, joined us a little bit later in the week. And um, and then what we did is like we all kind of split up into different areas. So uh, the first day, Dave and I went out and um, we kind of just said, all right, which way the wind going? And I've shot mouflon rams before and, um, you know, been successful, but never taken like a really big one. So that was kind of my goal was like, all right, here, I'm going to, my thought was this, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt for a big ram because I've passed up a lot of nice rams in the past. I'm going to use a mouth tab and I'm going to try to film it. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> now looking back. So I, uh, so Dave and I are, we parked the truck, and we just kind of decide, okay, we're gonna split up and go two different directions and really just use it as like a scouting mission so we know, okay, what's on this side, what's on that side, kind of connect in the middle of the day and say, okay, maybe we regroup, maybe this side's better, figure out what we're gonna do. So we split up, and sure enough, I spot, I actually spotted some access deer right off the bat. I thought, ah man, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, get in on these, these axis deer. And so as I'm moving in, I, I the wind's not real good. So we, we split up two ways. Dave's kind of like walking into the wind. And my thought was like, I'm going to kind of walk with the wind at my back. Obviously not good for hunting. It was it was kind of like I'm going to cheat the wind to get maybe two or three miles out and then turn around and hunt back like in the direction of the wind. So I'm kind of using, obviously I know like, all right, this isn't a great setup, but um, the wind started moving down the mountain. So I was able to kind of like drop down. I figured, okay, I'm going to hunt up into the wind. I'll get a ways back and then hunt up the mountain. So I'm doing that. I spot some deer. I'm like, oh crap, those, there's some bucks in there. This is sweet. So I, I drop down and then start working back up toward where those deer are. And I'm in this little gut. And as I'm working through this gut, I spot a bunch of rams kind of with where the deer are. So they end up moving and they're, they're walking right toward me. So I get down, I get ready. The rams go like pretty much 40 yards from me, but I don't get a good shot. They disappear. And then this, um, I see these deer up above me. This buck comes and he's like by himself, splits off from the group and beds down in the trees, maybe 120 yards from me, so... Thinking this is awesome, I uh, set up the camera, crawl in, get to thirty yards first morning. Like not even the sun's probably not even up yet. You know it's a little cloudy, so it's hard to tell. But it's within the first hour of the first morning, and get within thirty yards and this bedded buck. And I'm debating. And I'm like, ah man, it was a nice buck. And I for some reason decided to pass it. it was, you know, you kick yourself for decisions you make, but. It was one of those things, like okay, first morning. I don't know. I probably should have just, with what I had going on, trying to film and the mouth tab and the whole deal. Probably should have t- tried to take a crack at him, but he so he he gets away and ended up seeing a lot of sheep. Just nothing, you know, within range. But I thought, oh well, man, that first morning it was going to happen. Ended up seeing a lot of good rams, and then you know met back up with Dave. He had some pretty good stock, so we end up. Like meeting back up and going and and just kind of getting on this glassing knob and looking and end up seeing this group of you So I had a U tag and a ram tag, and then there's some kind of deformed rams every once in a while. Just like they they don't grow. Like sometimes the, their horns will actually grow into their head and they're kind of terminal, so you can shoot one of those as well. Um, or they just don't actually grow out full, so we call those moo moo rams. So we're up glassing and we see this group of ewes, and I think, all right, this is gonna be perfect. I'm gonna sneak down there in this big patch of open red dirt and I'm gonna see if I can get into position and maybe try to take a U. So I get down there and of course one of them picks me off at I don't know 70 yards and I'm thinking I've got to get to like 40 yards or less. So they kind of pick me off and get a little edgy and I just give them a blat like a, a sheep. <laughs> It kind of. I'll start looking, and I, I get back in the goalie I was in. I just popped up at the wrong time, creep in, and now I'm. I keep doing it, <laughs> and they're all looking clustered up, thinking this is this tactic's actually working pretty well. Um, you know, they saw something, but they weren't sure what it was, so I just made them think that oh, it's just another one of you, <laughs> pun intended. Um, so I get into position, and unfortunately, they're just on the skyline. And they're within range, but I'm just not going to take a, a skyline shot like that. So I let them pass. Finally, they, they blow out. We meet back up. End up going to a couple different areas. Dave and I hunted together. Got a few stocks in. Fast forward to the next day. Got on a bunch of sheep. And just I, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm changing my hunt tactics. So I was in some more open country, but I'm now knowing, okay, with this mouth tab, I've got to be super close if I'm going to try filming. Um you know, I've got, everything's got to be just right. Perfect. So I was in some more open country and just wasn't working out. Like I was seeing sheep, but I just wasn't able to close the distance, close that gap. So I decided to kind of check out a new area where there's, there's a little bit more cover, a little more broken terrain, end up getting in on a group of sheep. And I'm thinking, I'm going to film this, uh, some sheep below me, just like 20 yards below things. So I crawl in, I set the camera up, I, I'm kind of in position. Then they're low in the canyon. I'm kind of on the edge and they're just like right below me 20 yards. I get the, I go to move the camera and of course they see something. I draw back, try to get the camera set up and it just doesn't work out. It's like, had I just gone up and tried to shoot, I would have been successful. And now I've realized like sometimes that getting the camera set up is just that extra bit of difficulty that maybe I didn't need at this current juncture of the hunt. But so I I kind of decided, well, you know, if I get a good opportunity, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to like really ruin a a good chance. I love filming my hunts and other things, but also like, I felt like I had enough working against me. If it worked out great, if not, I wasn't going to commit to it. It wasn't something that I had to do. I just always liked the added challenge of filming. And I, and now I'm realizing the added challenge is getting close enough to these things and then trying to shoot it with my mouth. So, Uh, As the hunt progressed, I I kind of started to lower my standards on expectations on what I was going to try to do. So I guess fast forward to day four. um, There was, uh, you know, had a lot of great encounters, a lot of things that were just close but not close enough. And so day four starts out, I'm working into the wind, and I I ended up seeing – a couple sheep in the morning, but some of the guys that were hunting this particular area the night before got into a bunch of rams. One of the guys, uh, Robin, had actually tagged out on rams. So he's like, man, of course, when you tag out, you have so many opportunities at whatever you can't hunt. So he had tagged out. And he's like, okay, you go back into here. So I, I was actually a little bit lower than he was. I, I dropped the night before. So I drop in, start working into the wind, actually got on a couple sheep first thing in the morning, got within... I'd say within, definitely within range, 40 yards. I had like a a moo-moo ram and then a nice like little over three-quarter curl ram. Standing there broadside, they didn't know I was there, but it was kind of one of those things. So these other, these deer actually were on the ridge across from me, working my direction. The wind was blowing toward those deer. Those deer winded me, made the noise, like, I smell you, blew out. That alerted the rams that were right below me, and I was just waiting for the better ram to give me a shot, and then they blew out. So I was like, okay, I got to go check a different spot. So I dropped down in this big canyon and start working up the canyon. It's it's hot at this point, middle of the day. The sheep are starting to bed in the shade. And so I figured, all right, I'm going to still hunt, work through here. As I'm working through the canyon, I bumped this ewe that was like 10 yards away and I just gave her that blat, that, eh, 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 and she stopped on a dime I'm thinking, all right, this is the tactic. Like if I bump something out of its bed, I need to use that call. Cause otherwise, I mean, they, they, these sheep see you and they just run and they keep running. But that was giving me that edge of getting them to stop, getting them to calm down, not really knowing why they busted out. So a little bit later that day, I'm actually working through some, like there's these chiave little bedding areas type of tree and they're thick chiaves in the open. I'm thinking that's a good shaded spot. There could be deer, there could be sheep in there. And what my plan is, I'm, I'm going to creep into these bedding areas like I'm just stalking in, right? I'm glassing, I'm, I'm just really getting sneaky on these these clusters of trees and just kind of crawling through them. Maybe I'll see a deer, maybe I'll see a ram and just kind of still hunting these particular bedding areas. So I'm in this one, it was pretty open. It opened up for a while. And now I've got this like really nice bedding area and I'm just going to creep through it. And as I, I start to approach the bedding area, I look up on the ridge above me and here's a giant ram. I'm thinking, oh, perfect. This is, this is going to be great. I can drop back down the canyon. I can get up on the ridge. He's looking down the canyon. He's, he's not alerted to me. He has no clue I'm there. This is going to be good. So I've got my pack on. I drop through the trees. There's this little trail, like a game trail that goes to the bottom. And it's got me out of sight of the sheep and I'm gonna be able to get the wind right. There's a big rock where the ram is so I can sneak up behind the rock and it looks like a really good setup. So I take my pack off and as I'm taking my pack off, this freaking doe blows out, maybe she's 15, 20 yards from me, blows out and runs right toward the rams. I'm like, oh, this sucks. So I've got my pack off, I pull out my map. I've got my Go Hunt maps open. I'm dropping a pin on my pack because I don't want to lose my pack. So I'm just thinking I need to go light and fast, get sneaky. I don't need my pack with me. So I'm dropping a pin. This is like a f- uh, maybe. I don't know. By the time I get my stuff out, reorganize my stuff, I'm just like, all right. I'm going to give them a little bit of time to calm down. I'm dropping a pin on my pack and. I'm behind this big boulder and then there's this tree kind of growing right around the boulder and it's just one of those big trees that sprawls out and almost touches the ground, super thick and then tall grass in there. And I'm saying like six, seven feet away on the other side of the rock, this giant buck blows out 100 miles an hour running up the other side. And now by this point, I was like, well, I didn't first, if I was sneaking through there, I probably would have seen that buck or maybe had a, I don't know if I would have, but you like to think you would have, right? now I'm thinking, all right, I definitely blew these sheep out. So I decide I'm just going to go up there and, and stalk like that sheep's still there. I stalk up to where the ram was, definitely gone. <laughs> so I decide, okay, he probably ran this direction. I'm just going to go see if I can get eyes on him. So I work about two, three canyons over. I've got a decently good wind. And so I, I get there and it looks flat where I'm at, but there's all these little drop-offs, these little goalies and guts. And I hear this almost like a the sound that you'd hear if, if think of like a sheep sneezing kind of sound like a <clears throat> i thought okay but sometimes they make that noise when they're clearing their nose to wind you or, and i look around i don't see anything so i'm thinking to myself well maybe it was a you or something that i didn't see and then she ran down this gully and i'm stopped by this tree and i stopped by this tree and just sit there for about 10, 15 minutes and glassing and looking and don't see anything think, well, okay, it's about midday. I'm going to go grab my pack and then I'll start working in this direction because by this point, my pack's quite a ways away from where I'm at. So I back out and I start walking to where my pack is. And as, as I walk, I have to kind of climb up the hill from where I was sitting And as I do that, a group of rams blows out from behind the tree that I was sitting 15, 20 yards from. Well, they weren't actually on my side where I could see. There was a gut that I couldn't see from my level. And they were just tucked in this little like crevasse uh, behind this tree that I could, it looked flat from where I was. I had no clue that there was even that dip there. And now I'm extremely frustrated at this point. They run over this hill and disappear. So I just back out and I get to where maybe I can look into where they were or where they went and maybe a quarter mile from where I I spooked them. And I'm sitting in this gully and just like looking and glassing and don't see anything. So I sit there for maybe 45 minutes more. And all of a sudden I see, it's like middle of the day, I see a ram pop out of one of these guts down below me. It looks like a ram from the group that I just spooked. And he starts feeding thinking to myself, now this is my opportunity. The wind's good. I've got this, like, think of it like a, a tight box Canyon all the way to where he's at. And then I can pop up. I range him use like three or 400 yards from where I was glassing. And then the edge of the like rim Canyon is only 20 yards from him. So this is perfect. And I decide, all right, he's got his head down feeding, butt to me, I can get out of sight. So as I'm watching him, he gets his head down. I just start moving and I just start going as fast as I can. Cause I want to get to that edge while he's within range before he feeds off. But I also am thinking, okay, there might be other sheep around. So I get down there. And as I get to the point where I'm getting close, I, there's this one tree on the, rim so I knew where I was going to be able to pop up I start to slow down I start to get into creep mode start sneaking and as I'm coming around the corner where I'm going to pop up I spot these two rams that are only maybe 50 yards away two like moo moo rams <sighs> like they see me I see them and I immediately just give them up eh, 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 and they like stop and and look and they I've got this bush between me and them I knock an arrow and I range them and they're like 50 yards I'm thinking, um, and if these guys blow out, my thought was maybe the rams that I had seen moved down the mountain. They ran into this other group of rams and just stopped there. So I don't want to blow them out. I give them a blat call, and they just kind of stick around. And at first, they were a little antsy, but they, they really couldn't see me. I just tucked back and, and then kept calling, ah, 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 ah. and then they end up moving off behind a rock. And as I'm doing that blat the ram from up above that I was stalking moved down, dropped into the canyon, pops out halfway between me and the other sheep. At this point, I see his horns below me. He pops out and he's looking like slightly quartered away facing those other sheep. I draw back, anchor, like get everything level, really settle in open my jaw, release that arrow, and it's just a perfect shot. Immediately, I knew that that ram was going down. I was super excited. walk up, and, and it was the best mouflon ram I'd ever taken, using essentially my mouth to shoot and my mouth to call. It was a pretty incredible hunt, and uh, definitely one that I'll remember for a long time. When I think back, I'm kind of just like looking around here. I've got some antlers in my little office that I'm doing the podcast in and I'm looking at the animals and thinking about how many of them were taken because of something I did to stop them. And then I think about people that I've guided or or the different encounters, calling bull elk in, mule deer that you're stalking and something bumps or one of the group. Like there's just so many instances where doing something at the exact right time has stopped an animal and allowed for a shot, something that would probably continue to run or run and not provide a a shot. So what does the stopper do? Well, the stopper stops. So I guess the the main question is first diving into what we're going to do. We're going to dive into how it works, some of the main ways to use it, why it works, and then some of the sounds you can make and then when to make those sounds and possibly, you know, what to do after uh, you make those sounds. So let's first jump into w- how it works. You, you know, when you think about animals, right, a lot of us, well, even humans, we have this, they have this flight or fight response. And most animals you're hunting, the, the response is flight. They're prey animals. When danger comes, they use the getaway tactic. They run, they scatter, they, they try to put distance between whatever that predator is And themselves. But there's a lot of times that they don't 100% know why they're running. I mean, think about if you're just sitting back on a glassing knob and you're observing elk, right? And you've got these two bulls bedded under a tree and here come a group of cow elk. And those cow elk walk in and they're making noise, they're cracking sticks and they maybe walk right into the trees that the bull elk are in. What do those bull elk do? Most of the time, they just stay there now, if it's like the rut, maybe they'll get intrigued and go, um, you know, inspect the the cows or whatever. But you don't see a lot of animals uh, like animals, like elk, spooking elk, that often. Sometimes you'll see an elk run through uh, a cow elk run through a patch of trees and they spook out maybe the two bulls that are bedded. They run 10, 20 yards, turn around and look at her. Uh, but how many other animals are walking around? Maybe I've, there's so many times where I've been sitting glassing say, mule deer in some areas where there's bighorn sheep and a group of bighorn sheep comes through where they're at. They're making noise. They're obviously doing things that when we're stalking and we're trying not to do, and yet they don't blow out the animal. Well, the animals that are bedded or in that area are differentiating between a threat and not a threat. So there's things that make noise. There's things that do stuff that could be perceived as something that spooks and causes flight, yet it doesn't. And so what's happening is they're seeing the animal, they're reassured that it's not a threat, not a danger, and they stay there. So when you think about stalking in, especially when it comes to bow hunting, but this this works for rifle, this works for many other things. How many times are you walking? Let's say you're walking this canyon, you're gonna go to get to a glassing knob, maybe you're rifle hunting, maybe you're bow hunting, whatever, and there's a bedded deer behind a tree. You didn't know he was there, you make a noise, you do something, he maybe catches your movement and it blows out. Well, is it over? Not necessarily. We don't know why that, unless it's like clearly the winds at your back and it smelled you, right? We don't know why that animal spooked. Did he hear something that wasn't right? Did maybe just the way that we're walking not settle right with him? Was it the fact that he, that animal caught some movement and spooked out? What we're trying to do is we're trying to throw out a sound that instantaneously corrects that flight response to uh, one of many different things. So it could be a reassurance that I'm not a threat it could be curiosity or it could cause confusion. And what we're doing is we're kind of breaking them out of that flight instinct, like that immediate thing. You know, you think about animals and staying safe. They do things uh, essentially just based on instinct to stay alive. So they, something feels wrong, they run. But when they know that it's not a threat, they stop. So what we're doing is we're using sounds to immediately snap that animal out of that flight response and get into a curiosity response, or a, a reassurance. Maybe that's like a non-threat response, just like those other elk walking through the woods, or maybe just a response of confusion. Like I was running this way, now I don't know what to do. Maybe that just running isn't the the correct option. So I'm going to stop. And by them stopping, it can give you a few different things. One, it can keep them in sight so you can see where they go. Sometimes they end up settling back down, especially if it's a reassurance thing. They go, oh, that wasn't a threat. I'm going to settle back down. I'm going to calm down. And that gives you an opportunity to do something else. Watch them, maybe make another play. Sometimes, many times, whether you're rifle hunting or bow hunting, it causes the animal to stop and allows you to get off a shot. You might be thinking, oh, well now they know um, I'm there. So they're going to be more prone to jump this, that, and the other thing. Sometimes that's true, but it depends on the situation and why they ran. And, And just being able to decipher that real quick on the fly and making the right moves at the right time can be the difference between an animal busting out and just continuing to run or you being able to make a good, clean, ethical shot. So let's dive into when this works best. There's a few scenarios where I've identified this particular tactic of making a sound when an animal breaks or busts or sees that something's wrong or is about to bust. Um, Works really well. The first is like when one animal in a herd or group spooks, but the others don't really know what's going on. So picture your archery season, early season, you're in the alpine, you're stalking a group of mule deer, maybe there's five or six bucks bedded off this point in the trees, as you're crawling in, there's one little tree off to your left, and there's two does in it that you didn't know were there. They got, maybe they went in there after you made your stock plan. You're crawling in, and those deer just blow out, right? Well, those deer are running. What's going to be the response of the other deer as soon as they see those, uh, those deer running? Their response is probably going to be, danger, I should run. But the deer that are running from the danger that they saw the other deer see – don't really know why they're running. Maybe they're just chasing each other. How many times can you be sitting there glassing and watching two fawns chase each other up and down the mountain? Deer and animals run for reasons other than danger. There's so many times where I'll be watching a deer. It's in the middle of the day. It's hot. They're out feeding and they decide, oh, it's bedding time. And they essentially bound to bedding and get into the shade as fast as possible. They chase each other around, especially during the rut. Elk, bulls chasing cows like Animals run for other reasons than danger. So what we need to do is assure those other animals that it's not danger. Maybe it's just something else going on because we need to assume that they don't know why the animals that spooked are running. Another scenario where this works really well is when an animal sees something. For the most part, every animal is a little bit different. So every animal has its strengths and weaknesses. You know, antelope, pronghorn really trust their eyes more than anything. Whereas elk, trust their nose more than anything. Mule deer trust their ears a lot. So every animal has its own little bit of defenses. But for the most part, a lot of animals sight and seeing something is kind of a little further down on the list. Of course, they're always looking out for danger, but they're always seeing things moving. Magpies are landing in trees, birds are flickering, other animals are moving by. There's times where I've seen bedded mule deer in a coyote walk within 75, 80 yards, just because there's a coyote doesn't mean that it's going to spook the deer. They see it, they see that it's not really a threat or they don't perceive it as a threat and they just stay there. So tricking an animal's eyes can happen. So you're you're crawling in, you're stalking and then something happens. You pop your head up and a deer sees it and that might be, oh no, they're they're getting ready to bounce out. They know something's wrong or maybe they jump out because that's their immediate instinct is, oh, something scared me. But that doesn't mean that they know what scared them. It could have been another deer walking by. It could have just been some random thing that they saw. They don't really know why they're scared. So when they see something, this tactic works really well. another time this tactic works well is when an animal hears something. Maybe you're crawling in and you're completely out of sight. You've got the wind right. And your knee lands on the wrong stick. You put pressure on it and it snaps a stick. Mule deer whips his ears around. He becomes alert or an elk hears something and and freezes and goes and looks into your position. But that doesn't mean that they know that it's danger. It could be something else, right? So anytime where these scenarios are, you spooking them or you doing something wrong could be something else. Another time that this tactic works really well is when animals are being called in. This really happens a lot during the elk rut. You're bugling in a bull or your cow calling in a bull. He's coming in, everything's perfect. You're set up. He busts out of the timber and here's a guy with a bow sitting there at 25 yards. Maybe you're you're frozen, you aren't moving. You're hoping he doesn't see you. You're hoping he's going to look past you, but he knows where you're at because you were just calling and he sees you, okay? I mean, I've had this happen, so many times, actually, on a recent elk hunt, a couple years ago, uh, with my trad bow, I've, I've actually got it on YouTube. So if you if you get some, a little bit of time and watch, I think it's labeled um, "How to Bow Hunt Elk," and I'm hunting with my trad bow and I'm calling this bull in. The bull comes in, everything's perfect. He pops up. I'm sitting there waiting for a good shot. He's quartering to me. He pops up at. 15 yards, maybe 10 yards. He came in tight. I was hoping maybe he would pop out on the other side of the tree and keep walking. But when he crested the ridge, he stopped. He sees me, but he doesn't really know what I am. He runs out. I immediately, at this point, I'm already at full draw. He stops on a dime and I let the arrow rip. A perfect heart shot and the bull is piled up just on the other side of the ridge. Is the difference between that bull continuing to run and me making a shot. But he came in, he saw something that he wasn't quite sure of, but that call reassured him that Hmm. now he got curious. Now it's a non-threat, now it's confusing and stopped. This tactic doesn't work well in every scenario. So there's a couple scenarios where when an animal wins you, for the most part, the deal's up or at least within bow range. But when it's swirling wind and they aren't sure where that wind comes from, then it can work. So there's been times where actually a few years ago, I've got a video on this as well, stalking in a big three-point mule deer. It was a film I did with Under Armour a few years back. And I ended up shooting the deer in his bed, but originally I busted this deer out. I was in 30 yards. I crept in. Everything was perfect. And I'm just waiting for this buck to stand up. Just I needed to get a good shot. I'm waiting for everything. to just naturally stand up. Everything is perfect. Then I felt it. The wind hit the back of my neck. The buck bounded out and I give it a, just grunting and anything to try to stop this deer within range. Doesn't happen in this instance because it winded me. But there's other times where I've been maybe creeping in on deer uh, with clients for rifle season. And you get that swirling wind where it's just going up, like the thermals are going up, the wind's going down. So it takes it up and then hits it down. You see the deer lifting their nose in the air and then scatter. And they're almost running to you. You're like, those deer don't know where the danger is coming from. So throwing out that sound caused that confusion to stop and look in your direction, giving a guy enough time to, to make a good shot. So now the question comes in. Well, what sound do you make? So what this tactic is, what we're doing, is we're creating a sound that really entices the animal to stop. And like we mentioned, we're, we're, there's a couple of different reasons: that reassurance of non-threat, a curiosity, or confusion. So generally, we're going to be making a sound that mimics something that those deer or elk or whatever you're hunting might hear regularly. In the in the last story, it was a a sheep blat and i just do these all with my voice it's something you can practice and they don't even have to be honestly they don't even have to be that good because what's happening is they're running they're still listening but things are louder as they're moving away they've got that response of run and then they hear something that kind of just snaps them out of it i think one of the things that i do a lot for mule is i whistle and I know, I, I actually, there's probably a lot of videos I have where I've edited out the whistle because people just didn't understand, like, why are you whistling at this animal that you just spooked? Or it's like right before I shot a whistle. Well, mule deer have really good hearing, and that high pitch tends to just be like, it's not something that's threatening, and it's also not something very natural. So they hear that, and it just, like, snaps them out of his head. <whistles> Something that my dad used to do a long time ago it was actually... I think kind of part of the hunting tactic that I think he grew up with. They'd go to like a canyon in the middle of the day when it was thick, like places where deer might bed. Big canyon, maybe 200 yards across. And then they would intentionally spook deer out by probably like rolling rocks down the canyon or making noise, mostly rolling rocks down. So the rock would roll through a potential bedding area. I'm not saying, I'm not really suggesting this is a tactic because there's a lot of things that could go wrong with it, but it worked for them when he was growing up. So they'd roll a rock, the deer would bust out of their bed and they'd start bounding up the other side of the canyon. Then they throw a whistle because it would reach across there. That whistle would be like, oh, what's that? The deer would stop, boom, they would shoot and they'd be successful deer hunters. I don't, I mean that tactic, there's a lot of things that, you know, in some instances it might work, but I prefer to not let the deer know that I'm there. But in those times when deer find out you're there and something has happened, something's gone wrong. There's been a lot of instances where I've used a grunt and a whistle or something to stop a deer. I generally try to start with a grunt, just making a grunt noise, even though deer might not be grunting at that time. It just makes them think like, oh, what was that? And on the part of mule deer, it's more of a curiosity thing. It also works whether they're spooked or not needing to stop an animal, throwing out that grunt or even a mule deer across the canyon when they, that grunt doesn't travel as far as the whistle does. So it's a loud noise that makes that sound that gets them like, whoa, what is, what was that? Hmm." Okay, they stop and look with elk there's a lot of times where maybe I don't have an elk call or even deer and they're across the canyon I'm guiding someone and they're and they're moving they aren't spooked but they're just walking and I need them to stop in a certain opening there's been times where I've made out a coyote howl like and just like something that or a something loud that just travels across the canyon gets them to stop and look it's like it's not something that would be immediate danger but something that gets them to stop that piques their curiosity that gets their interest that confuses them that says that's not a threat but i need to check it out boom stop and that's enough for a shot when it comes to elk a cow call is the gold standard i always have a cow call ready and handy uh, there's very few elk that won't stop at least once after being spooked, after whatever, uh, They will stop when they hear that cow call hit. Any time of year. This is with a rifle, this is with, with whatever. When I sneak in with clients and, we're gu- and I'm guiding hunters and guys are gonna take a shot, whether they hit the animal, whether they don't hit the animal, I get on that cow call fast because there's been so many bulls that have been missed and I'll stop them again after a shot. I've had bulls that... Uh, have been shot and stop to check it out to be like, Oh, what is this? Especially at a little bit further distance, but even at close range, like that trad bow hunt I was talking about. Another one is that elk bugle because it's so loud, especially during the rut. Maybe one thing you'll notice if you like watch some videos, solo hunter videos, whatever I've done, as soon as that arrow flies, I hit that bugle and I will make the it's like, it's not a good bugle. It's the reeds in my mouth, uh, everything's going on. I'm putting an arrow on at the same time. And I just want to make a loud sound that goes, whoa, what is this? Hey, stop, because it gets their attention like that. There's been so many bulls that I've called in for people that, have been able to, sometimes it's just like, maybe they need another shot. Maybe the bull saw something when he came in, but that bugle just makes him stop on a dime at close range. Or maybe it's something where you shot the bull, you bugle, and you can get a second shot or even just keep him within sight till he falls over so you don't have to do a lot of blood trailing. It, it works really well. And then with sheep and goats, I do more of a bah, bah sound. Uh, was it last, well, about a few years ago now, my buddy Mike had a, special desert sheep tag. We f- found a good ram. It was actually a Boone and Crockett Ram. Uh I think it was three or four of us snuck in. He had a bunch of you he moved into this group of ewes and started kind of pushing them around. We go down the ridge and su- like they actually went away that we weren't expecting. So they came toward us. And so they were on the same hill as us. We had to keep peeking over, peeking over one of the ewes spotted us, and that whole herd just took off across the canyon. I immediately hit the ba, ba, ba. And when they came up the other side, it got them to be like, huh, what was that? Maybe one of them just ran because a ram was chasing them. We all got down, and they started like mingling and doing their thing again. They completely settled within range. Uh, There's too many sheep to get a shot at first, and it just kind of kept on that call. It kept them distracted, and they went back to their thing. They slowly spaced out. My buddy Mike. Ended up getting a perfect shot on the ram and, and took a, a giant desert bighorn sheep. So a couple other calls that I'll use would be just essentially other animal calls. Uh, sometimes there's one time I was hunting axis deer and I just needed this. I tried a few different things that didn't work and there happened to be like wild turkeys where these axis deer were. And I just gave them a <coughs> gobble oh, enough to stop it, to distract in that, in that instance, probably more confusion, curiosity, like, ooh. Something that isn't me made a noise, and sometimes making those noises helps. Like sometimes I'll be mule deer hunting in areas where there's elk, and I'll throw out that cow elk call. It's just something that like says, okay, it's not that nat that normal predator sound. Now maybe you're bear hunting. There's been times where I've stalked in on black bears, bumped a bear, and I immediately just throw out a voice distress call. That's enough to get them to be like, oh wait, what? What is that? I Actually. And don't. No one will call me smart for this, but I actually did that on a brown bear once. I we weren't hunting brown bears, but bear, brown bear blew out, and I went wah, 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 to get it to stop so I could take some photos. And that bear whipped around, started popping his jaw, and lurking. in my buddy was with me. He's like, maybe, maybe we don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, um, but it, it just works really well. So now let's go into when to do it. And the answer is pretty much immediately. If you bump something, the faster you can call, the sooner you're gonna snap that animal into out of threat run to non-threat curiosity or confusion. When I'm stalking in, I have that call ready, I have that sound ready. And for me, it's, I don't even know that I'm doing it. I wouldn't even know that I did it 90% of the time, unless I have like some video rolling. Like it's become so ingrained in what I do that as soon as an animal busts, it's whatever, whatever that particular, or whatever that, whatever animal I'm hunting, whatever that sound is that I think is gonna stop them, it just happens. Like the second that they move, it happens by making it automatic. i found myself in so many opportunities for success. One of the, the the best deer I ever took, um, I was stalking in Is I've, I've told this story before, but it was a over 200 inch mule deer with my bow. All the other deer had funneled off except for, um, they'd file, I went around the mountain, all the other deer kind of filed past me. And yet there was the big deer never showed up. So there was a big pine between me and the bottom where I saw him first. I start creeping down there and I see this other deer. I'm like, okay. And I just figured the big buck had to be there. I slowly back out, but that other deer had seen me. That other deer kind of like bounded up the hill and that caused the big buck to blow out. And the big buck was probably 20 yards below me. As he started running, I was drawing back. I grunted, the buck stopped. 40 yards, settled my pin and let that arrow fly and shot the biggest deer in my life because he didn't know why he was running. The grunt stopped him enough to look around in confusion or in maybe you now this is a non-threat looking back to see what was there. And at that point, the arrow was already on its way. It was too late. And I took the best buck I've ever shot. The other, another time to do it is just when you have an opportunity for a shot. So this, this more pertains to rifle hunting. A lot of times I'll do it immediately. And then maybe when you like again, when I can get another shot. So they might stop and then I'll just be quiet and let them move to a, a point where, okay, it's clearing. And now I'm going to anticipate the shot. Also, if an animal's moving and you just need them to stop to get a shot. This works really well, especially with elk, with a cow call. You've got an elk that maybe you're sneaking in on or it was bedded, it blew out. you know, Stop it out of sight, okay, now we just wait. We stay quiet and then as that animal starts to present a shot again, hit it again. That'll get them to stop within enough chance for you to line up your crosshairs and make a good shot. So now that we kind of understand the stopper call, now it's, the question can be like, what do you do after you make that call? So there's sometimes where I just use it to settle them down. Like if I believe that the animals have spooked but they don't know why they're running, if I instantly think, okay, I spook something, the wind's good, everything's good. Maybe they saw something, maybe another deer ran out, but not every animal knows that I'm a human for sure at this point. I make that call right away. And then what I do is I just make myself hard to see. I'll lay down, I'll I'll wait, I'll be patient. If I don't have a shot, if it's not something that's instantaneous, like a bull coming into a call and then seeing something and spooking out and me stopping it for a shot, maybe it's something where I'm stalking in or didn't even know it was there. I blew it out of its bed or whatever it is. And then I just make myself hard to see. And many times I'll just be quiet. I'll, I'll just be patient. I'll let that curiosity be like, hmm, okay. Maybe it wasn't a big deal. And a lot of times they'll go back to whatever they were doing, feeding, re within sight, not blowing out. Whereas times where I've seen guys do that same similar thing or something similar happen, they don't make a call. They don't make a noise. And that animal just blows out and keeps going. And they don't know where it ends up. There's a lot of opportunities that I've had where I've let the animals settle back down. and gives me another opportunity or chance within the realm of still keeping eyes on it, still knowing where they are, not necessarily knowing that I'm a threat, I'm a person that spooked them out. When it comes down to it, I probably, <laughs> a lot of my friends say like, I'm just the guy that talks to the animals. I can call a lot of different animals in. I can be a vocal hunter. I don't mind certain noises when I'm hunting. Animals make noise. Uh, everything out there makes noise and we always try to be so quiet, but there's times where you kind of need to break that silence and and do something that catches them off guard. Maybe this tactic works because not everybody does it, but it works really well for me. So I hope I don't just shoot myself in the foot with probably my best tactic. I've had to use it a lot because when I'm stalking in, especially when I'm self-filming, I'm stalking in with cameras and other things and it just, there's like three steps involved. I, I found that when I'm just going in to sneak in on something and make a shot, Okay, that's one thing, but when I'm doing something, like I'm setting up a camera, then I got to go back and get my... But there's a lot of room for error in there. And there's a lot of room where something kind of gets hinky and doesn't and thinks that something's up, but doesn't necessarily know what. On that recent hunt I had earlier, it was like the camera f- fell over and it made a noise and everything lifts its head and I just... <laughs> on deer, actually. And they just kind of like, okay. And then just laid there for a while and let them go back to their thing. Now they eventually fed off, but it wasn't like they blew out. Uh, There's so many times where this tactic has really helped me. And I would say it's definitely something that I do. I do it all the time, so much that I don't even notice it. And I would say that it would be, if I was to give you one like secret tactic, this would be it. Uh, So I definitely think it's something to think about, something to practice, just making those noises and being able to do it fast. Don't worry about the sound quality. It's more a thing of timing, more of a thing of speed, of doing it right when you need to and and hitting that call, whatever it is, whether it's a call you have or a call you're making yourself, hitting it right away and getting that animal stop. You'll be surprised how many additional opportunities you have in what you thought might've been a blown chance. Well, I've done it again. I feel like I get on here, I start podcasting and then I just start giving away all my secrets essentially for free. So I hope you guys appreciate that one. That's definitely something that I do all the time. And when I think about it, it has led to a lot of opportunities that probably would have gone into the unsuccessful category and led to successful. So I think that that anytime you can do something simple like that and just share that kind of info, it's a benefit ad. So I hope you guys appreciate that. As always, I just want to thank you all so much. I had a lot of fun last week doing the call-in Q&A. We're going to be doing those more and more. So if you like those, you know, let me know. Reach out on social media. Please feel free, if you don't subscribe to the podcast, hit the subscribe button, share it with your friends, give it a good rating and a comment. And if you can, if that, that's available where you're at or on wherever you listen, I really appreciate that. And just thank you guys so much for all the support. I really do mean that. Um, we've got, well, we've got Father's Day coming up next week. I'm excited. It's my first Father's Day as a father. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna get myself. <laughs> Just Pat on the back. Um, I did notice. I actually got an email on the email list from Stone Glacier. They've got their 15 degree chill cute bags back in stock. I know those have been sold out for a little while. If you're a gear junkie and you've been looking for that piece of kit, it's available now um you know there's also a lot of other cool father's day stuff on there and you can always they've got free shipping right now so now's the time i think till the ninth so if you're gonna get something there it's a good time to do it and then if you get something under whatever their amount for free shipping is you can always use code live wild at any time for free shipping through them so that's something cool that i appreciate them doing for us and then oh also um one of our partners yeti has got film tour going on right now in select cities there's one in denver colorado i was hoping to make it but unfortunately i'm going to be doing a little bit of wrist surgery that day i did get to check out some of the uh films though they're like some pretty awesome films this year and so if you get a chance in the ones in the city near you they've got some in new york coming portland maine boston uh coming up just check that out all the proceeds to that actually go to their conservation partners so that's a cool little way to enjoy a A night out watch some adventure films meet some cool people and uh help some conservation projects so thank you guys until next week i say before you run out of here (laughs) see got you to stop got you to hang around tactic works catch y'all later